looking at verses 19 through 34 this morning. I'd like to read a part of that as we begin. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know, and he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Amen. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a, a meeting where the President of the United States was going to be. And I love history and I love things about our country. And so I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for me to see the President of the United States. I don't know if I'm ever going to have that chance again. And uh, I, over the years, you know, I've enjoyed going to presidential libraries. I've gone to the Truman Library. I've gone to the Reagan Library. And I've actually gone and seen the home of Jimmy Carter in Plains, Georgia. But I had never seen or heard a president in person. And so this was down at the Excel Energy Center, and I'm not quite sure how I got these tickets or the invitation to go to this, uh, but I did. And when, when we uh, were invited to go, we were told that we would need to be there quite early because of the security that was going to take place. So we got there a couple hours early, and we went through all the security checkpoints, you know, and everything that they have to do these days. And then I showed them my tickets. And to my amazement, you know, I didn't know where we were going to be in the Excel Center. They actually directed us down onto the main floor of the Excel Energy Center. And we were there about 25 feet in front of the platform where President Bush was going to be speaking that evening. And I, you know, it was kind of like being from here to the back of the sanctuary. And I was kind of amazed to end up in this situation. And uh, I didn't know what was going to take place that evening. There was a band initially, and there were other people that were speaking, and all of these things that were kind of the preliminary events. But when President Bush arrived, everybody else stepped aside because we had come to hear him.
I share that as an illustration of how John viewed his ministry. John the Baptist viewed himself as a forerunner of Jesus. He wasn't the main event. He was the preliminaries. And he came to prepare the way of the Lord, he said. But once Jesus Christ arrived, he was more than willing to step aside. John understood his calling, and he came to point others to Jesus Christ. And that's what he did throughout his ministry. He was called to be a messenger. We are called to be messengers also. We are called to live our life in such a way that we are continually pointing others to Jesus Christ, just as John did. You know, last week, as we began our study in John, I said that John's Gospel is really laid out like a well-written dissertation paper. Uh, He has presented his thesis in the first section that we looked at last week that he is going to say, and I'm going to argue, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in the rest of the Gospel, beginning with the second half of chapter 1 through the end, he lays out the evidence If this was a courtroom this morning, maybe we can imagine it this way, that this is a court of law. What is John doing now? He is calling his first witness, John the Baptist, to the stand. He says, John the Baptist, I want you to tell what you saw and experienced in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So as background, we need to know a little bit about who is John the Baptist. What was he like? Who is this person? What is his story that qualifies him to be this first witness? Well, we know from Luke's Gospel that John the Baptist's parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both descendants from the tribe of Levi, or the priestly class there of, of the Levites, and so he was one who had the opportunity to serve in the temple. They are both old, advanced in years, and they have no children. And it has come where it is now Zechariah's turn to serve in the temple. And so on a particular day, he goes into the temple, he is there to offer an offering of incense in the holy place, and he offers this up to God, and he has an unusual encounter. For an angel of God appeared to him in that place. And it wasn't just any angel, this angel was Gabriel, one of the archangels who stands in the very presence of God and who had been sent with a message for Zechariah. Now you need to understand that there had been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years. You know, we tend to think in real brief periods of time, like, you know, a day or a week or something like that. And here had been this silence for 400 years, and now Zechariah has his encounter with an angel of God. And the angel said this to him. He said, Don't be afraid, for your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine as a father hearing this, I'm going to have a son, and this is going to be his calling in life to be this this forerunner? 
But Zechariah was stunned by what was said. And he couldn't believe it. And he said to Gabriel, he said, How can these things be? And the angel said to him that because he did not believe these words that were spoken, he would be silent until the day when John was born. When he left the temple, those who saw him when he came out understood that something significant had happened and Zechariah was unable to tell them. But they sensed that he had seen the presence of an angel. Move forward. The time comes for John to be born. The neighbors and friends gather and they celebrate and rejoice with Elizabeth and Zechariah on the birth of a son. The eighth day comes, the day on which John is to be circumcised. And those who have gathered around are all thinking that this baby boy is going to be called Zechariah, named after his father. But his father wrote on a tablet, he is to be called John. And immediately his tongue was loosed and he could speak again. The people were amazed. And Zechariah prophesied. He praised God and he said of John, you can go to the next slide, And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John will be used of God to prepare the way of the Lord. And the people who heard these words were amazed and wondered who this child would be. So when we come to John's Gospel and we read what we did today, we see that John the Baptist's ministry has begun. He is preaching in the wilderness. He's a strange kind of character, one who wears you know, unusual clothes and eats locusts and honey in the desert. He's on the other side of the Jordan River. He's not at Bethany that was just two miles from Jerusalem, but he is east of the Jordan in another territory. He is calling people to repent of their sins and he is baptizing them. And John's following is growing. There are many that are going out to meet him in the wilderness and to hear this preacher of righteousness. They're not sure what he is saying, but they are being drawn to him and to what He is calling them to do. And so one day, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem says that we've got to check this guy out. What are his credentials? Who is he? And why are all these people going to them? And they aren't just concerned about theology here. They're really concerned about Rome. They didn't want some troublemaker stirring up the people and getting them in trouble with Rome. And so they send a small delegation of priests and Levites who come to John and they ask him three questions. Number one, are you the Christ? Now that needs some explanation because for many people today when they hear the name Jesus Christ, they think of Jesus as the first name and Christ as just his last name. But the word Christ is not a last name for Jesus. It means something very specific. What they were asking is, are you the Messiah? The word Christ means anointed one in Greek or chosen one. And it referred to the Messiah, the one who God said would come to be the deliverer of his people. And John says, I am not the Christ. He emphatically denies it. And so they ask, are you Elijah? 
And they believed and there were predictions and prophecies that Elijah would return before the Lord came. And they looked at a passage like 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Kings 2.11 where Elijah had been taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elijah did not die. Elijah was translated in a moment from this life to heaven. And so they believed that Elijah literally was going to come back to earth in person before the coming of the Messiah. John says, I am not Elijah. Not in the sense that you are thinking. There was another prophecy in the book of Malachi that said that Elijah would come, or one would come in the spirit and power of Elijah who would turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children. Jesus said of John, He is that Elijah, if you will. He was that forerunner who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he was not the prophet literally reborn. Thirdly, they asked him, Are you then the prophet, the prophet, the one referred to in Deuteronomy 18.15, where God said to Moses, He would raise up a prophet like him for his people. Another reference to the Messiah who would come. And John says, No. Each time his answers are shorter. They are more terse. He is tired of talking about himself. John wants to talk about Jesus. John wants to talk about this one who will come and they want to talk about John and they want to know who he is and what his credentials are. John understood his calling. He came to point people to Jesus Christ. And so they ask a fourth question. Then who are you? Who are you? And what should we say to those who sent us? And John quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3, when he tells them, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John says, I'm the voice, but he's the substance. I'm just the messenger. He is the message. He is the Word of God. And there is this intentional contrast between what John has said in his Gospel about Jesus being the Word made flesh, the Word of God revealed to us, and John saying, I'm just the voice. I'm just telling you about Him, this One who is going to come. Now I want to make a side comment here that I think is very um, important for us to catch. At the time that John lived, there was also a community of Jewish believers called the Essenes. They lived in the area of Qumran. We know them because they are the ones who hid the scrolls that have been discovered called the Dead Sea Scrolls, a very important find. We've learned a lot more about them. They were people who believed that they were the children of light living in a world of darkness. But what's interesting about them is that they also quoted this verse in Isaiah and they applied it to themselves. They believed that they were the voice of one calling in the desert, making a way for the Lord. But they chose to do it in quite a different way. They chose to live in isolation. They chose to be a community living in isolation. If other people wanted to come and join them and fit into their group, they could do that. But because they chose to live in isolation, they died out. John the Baptist understood his calling to go into the world to be a witness for Jesus Christ and to proclaim this message to people 
who needed to hear it wherever he went. And I think it's really important for us as Christians to understand that because there can be a tendency among Christians to want to live in kind of a holy huddle. We enjoy our relationships. We want to be together and spend time together. And we need that fellowship and encouragement every day. But what's God called us to? He's called us to go into the world to be a witness for Jesus Christ and to live in such a way that we are pointing others to Him. We understand our role as a messenger. Another way to say it is John was saying, you know what, I'm just a road builder. I'm just making a way for the Lord so that others might come to know Him. So this delegation then asked him, why then do you baptize? You see, John's baptism was for proselytes. It was for new converts. And it required a renouncing of evil, complete immersion in water in the way that they were baptized. And it required a reclothing as a member of a new community of believers. They laid aside their old outer garment. They put on this new garment. They made a commitment to a new way of life. And do you know what? John's baptism was offensive to many of the Jews. I mean, his baptism, they thought, should have been for Gentiles, those pagans who needed to come to know Christ but, or come to know God. But we were in already, aren't we? I mean, we shouldn't have to do this as Jews. That's what they thought. What kind of new community of believers was John calling people to? He was calling them into a relationship with God through the Messiah. You know, for us too, God calls us into that kind of personal relationship with God through His Son. That's why, you know, we say, like, just going to church doesn't make a person a Christian. Just having, you know, kind of knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done and some facts about His life doesn't make a person a Christian. It is giving our heart and our life to Him. It's following Him, being obedient to what He's asked. It's placing our trust, our confidence in Jesus as our Savior and Lord that is what makes a person a new person in Christ. And John will say of Jesus that I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and you will be born again by that Spirit. And concerning that one who is to come, I am not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. And that was a very specific statement that John was making there. And it would have tremendous impact upon those who heard. Because at that time, the way that many people learned was that disciples would be joined to a rabbi and they would follow them around just as Jesus' disciples would follow him. And disciples would do just about anything for their rabbis as a thank you or as a way to serve them. You know, if they wanted coffee at Starbucks, they'd go get the coffee and they'd bring it to them. Or if they wanted, you know, some food or something, they'd get the food and they'd bring it. They would do whatever they could. But one thing that was expressly forbidden was that a rabbi could not ask his disciples to unfasten their sandals. It was forbidden. That was a job for slaves. It was too menial a task for a disciple to do. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. And I think also of what Jesus did for us. What did Jesus do for the disciples before he went to the cross? 
He washed their feet. He took the form of a servant, a slave. And he said, become like me. Do you know that it's often in those menial tasks, those servant roles, that we are the greatest witness for Christ? Doing the little things that sometimes somebody else wouldn't want to do or wouldn't notice. I think of a man named Doug Nichols who works with Operation Mobilization. When he was a young man, he had the ambition to be a missionary, and God opened a door for him to serve in India. And he went there, and he labored hard, wanting to tell them about Christ to no avail, and nothing was working. He ended up getting tuberculosis, and he found himself in a sanatorium in, in um, India. And there in that hospital where he was treated with many others for tuberculosis, there was an old man in his same room who was dying. And this old man one night was calling out for someone to help him, someone to come and help him, but no one came. He needed to go to the bathroom. And Doug Nichols got up. I mean, he had a fever. He was not feeling good. And he got up and he picked up this old, frail man and he carried him to the toilet. And he helped him to squat down on that toilet and held him so that he could go to the bathroom. And he brought him back to his bed. The next day, the rumors were going around in the hospital. Who was that white man that helped that Indian man? Why would he do that? Why would he get up to help an old man who was dying go to the bathroom? And Doug Nichols had the opportunity in that hospital to preach Christ and to tell them of a God who loves people so much that he is willing to help us in our time of need and he cares about everybody. And that was the beginning of his ministry that opened the door for the gospel in a way that he never would have planned. Those simple acts of service can sometimes be the very thing that opens a door for ministry. John would say of Jesus that we are to be his messengers. We see that throughout the Scripture in places like Acts 1, verses 8. We are called to be His witnesses wherever we live. In John 15:16, Jesus said, I appointed you to bear much fruit. In 2 Corinthians 5:20, He says, We are to be ambassadors for Christ and appeal to others on His behalf. Well, the second part of this passage that, we're, that we looked at this morning, I'm going to move through this kind of quickly, is that the message that John proclaimed was all about Christ. And it is for us too. In one succinct sentence, John summarizes why Jesus came in verse 29. When he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or the sin of the world, excuse me. What did a lamb represent to those who heard John? Well, a lamb was a symbol of sacrifice. They would also think of words like he was a substitute, someone who died in our place. A lamb was innocent. It was to be without spot or blemish, without sin. And it was offered as a payment for our sin, as a reminder that God in the future one day was going to do something. He was going to send that one who would be that final payment once for all for our sin. And John says, He's standing right there. And I want you to behold the Lamb of God, God's Lamb, who will take away the sin of the world. And they would think of Abraham's 
sacrifice of Isaac and God's provision of a substitute. And they would think of the Exodus and the Passover lamb, and they would think of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and who gave his life for our sins. Jesus is that lamb of God. The hymn writer William Cooper would say in his hymn that there is a fountain filled with blood that is drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And John says, I didn't know who Jesus was until I saw the sign of the dove coming down upon him. It's not that John didn't know Jesus. They were cousins. But John did not know for sure that he was the Messiah until he saw the sign that God said would happen. When Jesus was baptized by John, not only did the Spirit come upon him like a dove, but a voice from heaven said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Many years ago I heard Evie Hill speak on this passage, and I love the way he said it. He said that God wanted to make sure that there was no uncertainty about the identity of his son. And so when Jesus was baptized in the water with John, it was as though God was saying, this is my son. This one standing right here in the water with John, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And E.B. Hill said, you know, God never said that about Moses. He never said, this is my son. He never said that about Muhammad. He never said that about Gandhi or the Dalai Lama. But he said of Jesus, this is my son. And there's only one son of God. And John will say at the end of his testimony that I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. You have heard the first witness. Now what do you say about Jesus? Who is he in your mind? And what will you do with John's witness? If John were speaking to our generation today and putting it in the words we'd use, he'd say, you know what? It's not about me. It's all about him. What he did say was that he must increase and I must decrease. And may that be true of us as well. By our life and by our words, may we point others to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves.